Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Today we're talking about intercessors. Everybody say intercessors. Intercessors, say it again, intercessors. Intercessors, or you can say intercession. Now, if you've been in church for a little while or you were raised in church, you might have heard that word before, right? Intercessors. And so when we think about intercessors, typically what we think of is like this kind of Jedi order of people that are like have this like real connection with God, right? And so we think like you have all the kind of normal people over here and then you have the intercessors, right? They're the ones that really know how to pray. They're the ones that show up on Saturday nights to the furnace, all that kind of stuff. And so there are in fact people that are intercessors, but everyone's called to intercession, right? It's like preaching the gospel. There are preachers, but everybody's called to preach the gospel, right? There are prophets, but we all can prophesy, as Scripture teaches us. So so intercessors are, is this term that we, I think we misunderstand it sometimes because sometimes we think intercessor is, you know, this kind of super spiritual, uh, you know, person, but really an intercessor is just this, is the person who intervenes on behalf of another. That's all it means. It just means that someone that's representing someone else, a mediator might be a different word. So when I came to the Lord in 1993, oh my gosh, some of y'all weren't even alive yet. In 1993, when I came to the Lord, there was this woman, this older woman that attended the church that we were part of, and her name was Dell Talley. And some of y'all have heard me tell this story before. And Dell was, she was kind of like the, the church's Yoda, you know, and I, I don't mean that in, in a bad way, but but she was she was an older woman. She lived in this humble little house that looked like it was decorated in the 70s, right? It smelled like it was made in the 70s. You know what I'm saying? She had like the couch with the, you know, the patterns on there that felt like velvet. You know what I mean? She had the whole thing. She had the, the car from the 70s, this four-door brown car. You know what I mean? She had all that stuff, and she was probably about five foot tall, and Dell had, had been in a car accident, and she had had some, uh, she had had a stroke at one time, so she was, her body was, you know, kind of struggling a little bit, but one thing that, that Dell knew how to do is she knew how to pray, and so Dell was considered in our church, I don't know that anybody ever gave her the title, but everybody knew that Dell was an intercessor. She knew how to pray, like she had this special hotline to heaven that nobody else had. How many of you have ever met somebody like that? You're like, man, if I really want my prayers answered, they got the special hotline. The reality is, is we all have the hotline, it's just some people just use it more than others. And so with Dale, she prayed a lot. And so we knew that. So I had moved away and I was youth pastoring at El Paso and I was going through a real difficult time in my life. And I really wanted to have some people in my life that sometimes we call this like intercessors, people that would say, you know what, I'm going to be committed to pray for Josh every single day. And so I had a meeting, went back home to Odessa where, where we lived, where Dale lived. And, uh, and my dad was there, and, and, he, and I said, I'm going to ask Dale to be one of my intercessors, like, I, I, you know, <laughs> like one of them, like the intercessor. And so, I, and really with Dale, that's all you needed, right? And so she was, she was the big gun. And so, in fact, there was a, a, a time that happened, uh, it was, and uh, a guy that I knew 
was, was really not doing very good in his relationship with the Lord. And so my dad said, well, we'll get Dale praying for him. And so whenever that person found out later that Dale had been praying for them to come back to the Lord, he said, oh, you got out the big guns, you know, because they knew that Dale was going to actually pray. So I, I set up this meeting, and I go to the house of the big guns, right? We go to Dale's house, and I, was, and I, and I remember walking into her house and sitting on that couch, you know, in there. She has, like, the ironing board set up, you know. She's, she, I mean, it, it did. It was a time, even back then, it was a time warp, you know. And so we're sitting in there, and I, I remember being like, hello, Dale, how are you doing? Hi, how are you doing? She just had this real squeaky voice, you know, and she's like, she said, you know, I pray every day. And she, she began to tell how she prayed. She said, I pray when I'm standing up. I pray when I'm sitting down. I pray when I'm going to the grocery store. I pray when I'm doing the laundry. I pray. And then she, she said, but the Lord told me, and we perked up, you know, because the Lord told her, you know the Lord said it. And she said, the Lord told me to stop praying on my feet and start praying on my knees. And I was like, dang, I was like, I just need to pray on my feet more. And so I just remember having this incredible conversation. Well, why, why did I go to her? Because I knew that she was a woman who would intercede, someone that would, that would go before the Father every day and pray for me. And we all need some people like that in our life. And that's why we talk about the praying mom and that kind of, because there are people that are going to commit to praying for you. But the reality is, is these people don't have a special hotline. It's the same line. They have the same data connection that you do to the Lord. They're just using it more. So under the old covenant, there were primary, primarily two ways uh, that God communicated with people, primarily. And the first way was through the prophet. So when God wanted to say something to people, he would use the office of a prophet. So God would speak to the prophet, and the prophet would go out, and he would say what God was saying, right? And then you had what's called the priest. So if people wanted to talk to God, they couldn't just pray like you did. Because the scriptures teach us that God doesn't hear the prayer of the unrighteous. And so the reality is, is we're all unrighteous. So what they had to do is they had to go to a person who went through all this religious stuff to become righteous. They even had to atone for their own sins. And then they would go and talk to God on behalf of people. And they were called priests. So priests talk to God for the people, right? How many know that when Jesus came, he said, you know what? I will provide the way where you can talk to God. This is why Jesus said, our Father in heaven. Now you can talk to God. You don't have to go to a priest. You don't have to go through a religious ceremony. All you have to do is talk to God because of what Jesus did. And so the priests did all the kinds of stuff. Like they, they, they would prepare sacrifices. They would clean the temple. They would do all this ceremonial stuff. And so you had priests, and then you had like a high priest or a chief priest. He was the priests of priests. And so this guy, on one day a month, he was actually able to go in and be in the presence of God. Okay, now we, we experienced the presence of God today, right? It was fantastic. Worship was fantastic today. But in those days, you couldn't access God's presence like that. God's presence was, was thought to dwell in this temple that God told people to build. He's like, build me a temple. I'll dwell there. And so you can come and one person can come into my presence. He's called the high priest, and he had to make sacrifices for his own sins, and he had to go behind this thick curtain called the temple veil. And he would go behind there, and he would do all this stuff, and he would talk to God for the people. 
And he would atone on one day of the year. He could go back there and he could atone for the sins of the people. And this is what you had to do. You had to go to the temple. You had to get priests to do all this work for you. And then he would talk to God. That's a lot of work. <laughs> and so what, would ha- what happened is, uh, is when Jesus came on the earth, check this out. And this is the, the role of the priest is every high priest is a man chosen to represent others' peoples in their dealings with God. Hebrews 5. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices. So Jesus is on the earth. He's living. He's functioning. Total communion with God. How could he communicate with God? Well, because he was God, God the Son, right? So he could talk to God the Father anytime he wanted, but nobody else could. Are you tracking? Jesus is showing us the way. So when Jesus is crucified, we know what happens. It says in Matthew chapter 27, it says, when Jesus shouted out again, come on, there were a lot of shouts. He shouts out again, and he released his spirit. So when Jesus dies, it says at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two. So that, that, that wall of separation, if you will, that curtain that separated, that thick curtain that separated people from the presence of God, it said that that, that that veil was torn in two. That curtain was torn in two. And I love it that it says that it was torn not from the bottom, from the priest tearing it to the top, but it was the Father who reached down his hands when Jesus was on the cross. And he said, I will provide the way and he tears that temple veil what was he doing he was saying no longer will you have to go through a priest because the high priest just died the final high priest provided the way for every man to access the father and this is what we get through the crucifixion so jesus replaced the old priesthood order and became the last here it is this is in your notes he became the last high priest You'll never need another priest. You say, what about religions that have priests? Unnecessary. Unnecessary. I'm not a priest. I've had people call me priest before being in the ministry. Hey, aren't you a priest or something? (laughs) No. Well, I am a priest, but you can be a priest also. We're all priests. There's only one high priest, a final high priest, but we're all priests. I'm not like a a priest, like a, you know, and if that's where you came from, I'm not criticizing it. I'm just saying it's unnecessary. You don't have to go through a man to, to talk to God. You can talk to God yourself because Jesus is the final high priest, and we're all part of his priestly order. This is called the universal priesthood of believers. So there's a, there's a good, good word for you to say this week so you sound really spiritual when you're talking to uh, your, your peeps. So this is what it says, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, only one. I can't do it. You can't do it. None, none of us are saviors. None of us are superheroes. None of us are. There's only one. There's only one God and only one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone. Jesus, one mediator, one intercessor, one representative between God and man. He's the one. So when we pray, this is why we pray in Jesus' name, because we've got the authority that Jesus provided. Are you okay? So it says this, that Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9, God qualified him as a perfect, come on, the, the old high priests weren't perfect. They had atoned for their own sins. But he is a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Everybody say Melchizedek. You probably need to say it again. Everybody say Melchizedek. 
So Melchizedek is this, is this figure that we see in Genesis. There's only, there's only a couple of verses right there in Genesis. And Hebrews mentions this moment like several times through the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is, is a lot about the fulfillment of the law and the priesthood and all this kind of stuff. I'd encourage you to read it slowly and dig into it. And so when we say the order of Melchizedek, that sounds pretty crazy, right? I mean, I could write a book as a pastor and call it the order of Melchizedek. And everybody would think I was really smart and, you know, super theological and really deep. You could, you could use that this week, say, do you know? Just ask somebody, do you know about the order of Melchizedek? And they're going to be like, whoa, this sounds like some kind of cult, right? Or <laughs> something kind of weird. And so you can, you can uh, welcome them in. So I, I'm going to talk a little bit about what that is. So Hebrews basically recounts what it, what is spoken of in Genesis chapter 14. Now, Genesis 14 is where this appearance of this guy named Melchizedek is, and it's referenced all th- throughout several chapters here in Hebrews. So basically, Melchizedek, th- this order is, is laid out right here. Hebrews chapter 7. What does this have to do with Jesus? What does this have to do with prayer? All that. Right here. Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was the king of the city of Salem, also a priest of God Most High. Okay, hold up. So under the old covenant, you had kings and you had priests. You didn't have king priests. That didn't fly. Kings ran the kingdom. They ran the government. They told the people what to do. But if you wanted to talk to God and you wanted to be spiritual, you had to go through the priest. Well, this guy, Melchizedek, is a king and a priest. And so when Abraham is turning home, returning home after winning a great battle against the kings, Melchizedek met him and blessed him. Come on, that's a good word. How many of y'all want me to get blessed? So then Abraham took a tenth woo, of all he had that he captured in battle and gave it to Melchizedek. Isn't it interesting? This is before there was anything about a tithe under the old covenant. Come on. Through the Levitical law, people say tithing's of the law. Well, check this out. Abraham tithes. He's not under the law. This is before the law. And Abraham gets blessed, and what does he do after he's blessed? He tithes. Come on. You want to you want to. Get blessed, tithe. When you get blessed, tithe, okay? So then Melchizedek means king of justice. That's what his name means. Some translations say king of righteousness. And king of Salem, which means king of peace. King of peace. There, get this. There is no record of his father or mother or any of his ancestors. So he's like this eternal guy that shows up in the book of Genesis, no beginning or ending of his life. He remains for a priest forever resembling, here we go, resembling the Son of God. Now, Melchizedek, some people believe, and I believe this, that Melchizedek is actually a theophany or a Christophany. There's another good word for you. Christophany. Ooh, what is that? Christophany. Remember we had this conversation through text? Christophany is basically Jesus just decides to show up in the Old Testament. I mean, when you're reading that and you read Hebrews, you're like, Jesus, what are you, shouldn't you get in the book of Matthew? You know, get, a, get out of the Old Testament. Get back in the New Testament. Get where you belong. But here, here is Jesus. If it's not Jesus, this is definitely a representation of Jesus, someone who has no beginning, someone who has no end, someone who has no father, no mother, someone who is eternal because they're a priest forever. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus' order, Jesus' priestly order, is after the order of Melchizedek. Crazy. Predates the law. Love it. So this timeless figure, 
So if he, again, if he wasn't, he'd say, oh, I don't think I was Jesus. Okay, great. We won't, we won't worry about it. I think it was. I'm not like, you know, this isn't a tentative faith. It's just like, I think it was Jesus. It might not have been. Just like when Jacob wrestled the quote-unquote angel, I think that was Jesus. Maybe it wasn't. It's okay. No big deal. We're not going to break fellowship over it. So <laughs> some of you, I've seen people break fellowship over some silly, silly things. So here we go. So what is Melchizedek? First of all, he's a king. Right, he's a king. We know this. Jesus is a king. Come on, Jesus is the absolute ruler. Can I tell you today that Jesus is, Jesus' kingdom is the final kingdom. There might be kingdoms of the earth, but they'll all pass away. Jesus is the final king. He's the beginning king and the final king. All the kings of the earth will eventually pass away. But there is a king that endures forever, just like Melchizedek did Jesus does. The possessor, the creator of heaven, that word, get this, that word or that city, Salem, later becomes Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You know where Jesus is going to return to when he comes on the earth? Jerusalem. He's not coming to, I know some of y'all were hoping Washington, D.C. Sorry. He ain't interested, Jesus ain't interested in a democracy. He don't need your vote. He's the king. This is the way it is. So when Jesus returns in the clouds and he returns on the earth to reign for a thousand years, Jesus is going to show up and his feet are going to crush the mount, the temple mount. And every, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess his rulership and his kingship. And it's interesting that Melchizedek was from the same place where Jesus is returning to. Melchizedek was also a priest. He was an intercessor. So he wasn't someone that just ruled. He also had a divine connection. Come on, he was able to communicate with God. And we see this other thing about him. It's just like Jesus that he brings bread and wine. If you read the Genesis account, makes note of this, that he brings, he shows up to Abraham and he brings him two things, bread and wine. Remember Jesus in the upper room? What did he bring? He brought bread and wine. He brought communion. But get this also, Jesus is the bread. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the substance of life. But guess what else he brings? He brings the wine. You say, well, I don't know. Yeah, you want the wine. Jesus brought the new wine. There was an old wine, and then there was a new wine, and the new wine speaks of the Spirit of God, the parakletos. Jesus brought bread. He brought the sufficiency of life, but he also brought the Spirit. He brought a way to where we could become temples of God, and the Holy Spirit could dwell in us. New wine. New wine. Everybody say new wine. And, and it tells us in Romans chapter 8 that the Spirit actually intercedes within us, groanings that cannot be uttered. So he gives bread and wine. And then he, the other thing that he does is he blesses. He blesses. I love Ephesians where it says that, that we, have been, we have received every heavenly blessing in Christ. Some of you are like, man, I just want to see God's blessing. You got Jesus. That's the best blessing. And so when Melchizedek shows up, he blesses Abraham. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting? So what is it saying? It's saying basically this, that Jesus is our king high priest. He's our kingly high priest. He's not just the high priest. He's the king. And so he represents kind of both worlds, if you will, the, the governmental royal, uh, rule of his kingdom that will know no end. Come on, in his priesthood of his intercession that will know no end. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when the author of Hebrews says this. It says that he longs forever. He lives forever to make intercession for us. And that 
what that doesn't mean is he's just up there going, Father, I pray for them. No, he is representing us before the Father. Y'all all right? So here we go. The order of Melchizedek is this. So here, here's what you can say. You can write this down. You can copy it from your notes in your app. Jesus is the eternal mediator between God and man and the final authority as reigning king. So there you go. There's your sentence when you talk to that person this week and you want to sound real impressive. All right, just send them a text message. Did you know that Jesus came in the order of Melchizedek, that he is the eternal mediator between God and man and the final authority of reigning king? So when you read that scripture, you don't have to be like, oh, that's so deep, right? You okay? So under the old order, again, the, the priestly work and the kingdom work was separate, and Christ there brought together. Hebrews 6, verse 19, this hope... The hope that we have in Jesus is a strong and trustworthy anchor of our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Remember that temple? So we have this hope. It's based in the presence of God. Jesus has already gone there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Isn't that fun? So here's the thing. Here's the thing with Jesus. What makes him different than the other high priests? Well, first of all is this. He's approachable. Jesus is approachable. He is so approachable, unlike the priests of old. Like, you, you think priest, you think someone who's, who's kind of off limits. Come on, who you can't give them your phone number. You got to set up an appointment. Come on, they got, they don't touch their, their pretty garb that they're wearing, all, all, the, all the tassels. And these guys were very kind of revered. Jesus is like, forget all that. I want to be in relationship. There's no separating people from the priest. It's like, let's just get in here. Let's, let's be with him. He's the man priest. He's the God man, but he's also the, the, God, the, the man priest. So we, and what do you mean by that? It's like Jesus understands our weakness. Jesus understands our frailty. Jesus understands like how difficult the human experience is. This is why God became a man, so he could experience human life. He didn't know that. We love the incarnation doctrine. We love it. God becomes a man. It's crazy. He wasn't a man before, but he took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And so here's Jesus walking on the earth. Why? So he could, he could experience the human experience. Because the only experience he had before that was the God experience. And so Jesus, it says right here, this high priest of ours Hebrews 4.15, understands our weakness, for he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Whoa. Why didn't he sin? Because Jesus lived a life that was totally yielded to the Holy Spirit. So let us come boldly. Not because we performed well, but because Jesus did. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. And sometimes you need it most when you're sitting in front of the doctor, and they're about to give you a report. Sometimes you need it most whenever you're looking at the bank statement, and you're thinking, can I afford to pay the bills? Sometimes you need it most when you need to exercise forgiveness over somebody that's offended you. But whatever the time is, you just go before the Lord and you just say, Lord, I need your grace. So we know he's approachable. Second is this, is he intercedes for us. And again, that doesn't just mean that he is up there praying. 
He is praying, but he's not just praying. He's actually representing you. Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, he was raised to life, is at the right hand of the throne of God, and he is also interceding for us. So it's comforting to know that Jesus is on the Father's side, but guess what? He's on our side. He's on our side. So the devil actually has access to the throne room. I hate it, but he does. In fact, Scripture calls him the accuser of the brethren. So you know what happens when you do something stupid? Did anybody do something stupid this week? I think I, think I probably did a couple of stupid things this week. So you're like, yeah, that's why I'm in church. So, <laughs> so when you do something stupid, you know what the devil does? He goes before the Father, and he goes, look at what they did. Look at what that person did. They are so shameful. They're not grateful for the cross. They're not saved. Sometimes he's coming to you, and he's accusing you. You're not saved. If you really love God, if, you were, if God really loved you, you wouldn't do that. If God loved you, he wouldn't take good care of you. You know who that is? It's not God telling you that. It's the devil. And so before the throne of God, when you screw up, the devil is right there. The Satan is pointing at our sin and deeming us shamed. But Jesus is pointing to the cross, and he is declaring us redeemed. So, so Satan is there going, look, look at their performance. Look what they did. Look what they did. And Jesus is going, look what I did. Look what I did on the cross. I free them of their shame. I free them of their sin. I paid a price for them, Father. I paid that price, and I'd pay it again. They're worth every ounce of blood. I love my bride. I love my church, and the enemy's going, I hate the church. They're so wicked. The American church this. And then Jesus is going, I paid for them. I love them. I rescued them. They're mine, and I'll do it again. This is his posture towards you. Even when you mess up, even when you mess up, beloved, don't buy into shame. Because when you buy into shame, you're giving into what the devil says. Stop buying into shame. Jesus is your representation, not Satan. Number three is he puts intercession in us. And this is where it impacts us as intercessors. We mentioned it a few minutes ago. This is called the priesthood of the believer. All believers are part of this new order, the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the high priest. We are all the working priests. We work the temple. We are the temple. Come on. And collectively, as the body of Christ, we are the temple. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. We are priests. We do the work of the ministry. We minister to the Lord. We minister to the people. We are, we are, listen, get this. This is a heavy responsibility. The church is the mediator between the world and Jesus. Intercessors. Do you know, do you know what Jesus looks like to the world? You. There's, a, there's an old story about this, one of the world wars, I don't remember, and this man goes into the, a donut shop, pulls up in his, his military man, pulls up in his donut shop, American soldier, and gets some donuts. And this little boy is like kind of looking through the window of the donut shop. And the man walks out of the donut shop, and he hands this boy a little bag, had a donut in it. He'd been wanting that donut all day. And he looks at that man, and he goes, sir, are you God? 
the man wasn't God, but he was doing something godly. And so the, 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 we are that bridge. Listen, if, if people are going to know about the Lord, it's not going to be because they have some kind of crazy not vision where the Lord appears. That has happened a few times in human history, but it is not the norm. If the world is going to know about Jesus, he's gonna, they're going to know because of us. And Jesus has been sickly misrepresented, and we need to represent Jesus to our world. So he puts this intercession in us. He gave us full access to heaven by becoming the, becoming the high priest and anointing everyone who follows him into this new priesthood. So you're anointed. Say this, I'm a priest. You've been anointed to be a priest. And listen, not just a, not just a normal priest, a royal priest. Check it out. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen people. You didn't pick God, God picked you. That's better than you picking yourself. You are a royal priest. You are. Everybody say, I am. Come on, you guys have confidence in that. I am. You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, because of that, because you're intercessors, you can show others the goodness of God. How do they see the goodness of God? Because God's been good to them? Maybe, but mostly you're going to see the goodness of God as it's played out in your life. For he called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you're God's people. Oh, we're all God's people. No, 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 no. You got to be in Christ to be God's people. You are enemies with God. Once you received no mercy, none, but now you've received God's mercy. And then he continues. So now that you have this priesthood on you, he says, listen, dear friends, beloved, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, how many of you know this experience is temporary? To keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. What is he saying? You're the priesthood. Represent the kingdom well. You're the mediators. Represent them well. That even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior. And then they will honor, give honor to God when he judges the world. And, but sadly, many of us, we misrepresent. We misrepresent. So what is the ministry of intercession? And, and let me say this. Most people are comfortable with following Jesus, Jesus' three, three years of, of ministry. Where we're like, I want to do the things that Jesus did. I want to follow Jesus. I ain't something Jesus would do. I wanna, most of us are good with that. Most of us are not good at following him in what he's doing now, interceding. But we need to be good followers as intercessors, as priests, just as we are people that are living our lives. Are you okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. He has committed to us this minute message of reconciliation. And this is the ministry of intercession right now that we're talking about. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as through God, we are making his appeal through us. So we're making God's appeal through us. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation doesn't belong to Jesus. 
It belongs to his people. It belongs to his church. We have this ministry, and this ministry is mediation. This ministry is intercession. So we represent people to God through our prayers. By the way, did you know this? The people that don't know God, they can pray all day long, but God doesn't hear them. This is very clear in, in, in Psalms. I've been praying to God all my life. Have you, have you came to Jesus? No? Well, then you don't have access. I'm not being mean. I'm being gracious to tell you, you want to talk to God? You want him to hear your prayers? God doesn't hear the prayer of the unrighteous. Very clear in Scripture. But because of what Jesus did, now I can talk to God. I'm not just throwing up my prayers into the universe. Oh, throwing out to the universe. Blah, blah, blah. Great. Boom. Just like in space. Just. <laughs> but because we have access, we're not praying to the universe. We're praying to our Father because of what Jesus did. So, y'all are right? You're not quiet today. Number one is this. How do we do that? What does the ministry of intercession look like? First of all, it looks like that. Prayer and fasting. Oh, get, I don't want to put the fasting part on there. <laughs> I kind of like didn't want to include that on the message. <laughs> prayer and fasting. Listen, if all your prayers are consumed with you and your struggles and your difficulties and your paycheck and your health and the things that are troubling your heart, then your prayers are very selfish. What you need to do is you need to start praying for those that are on your mind. You know what happens to me when I think about somebody? I pray for them. I'm like, I wonder how they're doing. You know what I believe? I believe that's the Holy Ghost going, you need to pray for them. When I'm up in the morning and I'm, and I'm spending my time with the Lord and someone's name drops on my mind, I just go, Father, right now, I just pray. And then, and then I'll send them a text message. Hey, just want to let you know I was praying for you this morning. Because somebody could be going through a really difficult time. And the prayer matters, but it also matters to that person that they knew that I was actually praying. And I didn't just post it on Facebook that I was, and I didn't. You know, prayers and thoughts. <laughs> I care less about your thoughts, but I can really covet your prayers. <laughs> Thank you for your thoughts. But pray for me. So we're not self-consumed. Listen, we have all this mess, all this mess that we're living in, in our, in our society. I don't know about you, but I'm so sick of having another newsflash, another pop-up, another urgent cry, another need for humanity. I, I'm, I'm so exhausted. Am I the only one? Because what it is is that everybody's coming to me and they're going, you need to say something about this issue. This is a real problem. This is a real issue. We need to do something about it. You know what the best thing a believer can do about it? The best thing a believer can do about it is pray. And if you think that your activity is more productive than your prayers, then you have more power in you than you do in God. Then you, are in, you think that you're more powerful than you. You think your political statement or your post on Facebook or your statement is actually going to make a difference? Because everybody else is saying the same thing. I have a God that can shake nations, and I have full access to him. And so we think with all this brokenness, all this mess, if we just have another social experiment or we vote a certain way or we're politically active, listen, I'm not against any of that stuff. But if that's all you're doing and you're not praying, brokenness won't get healed. And the issue in America today is, is yes, racism, yes, coronavirus. Yes, whatever else that you can politicize are those real issues. Absolutely. But the root of all those issues is sin. 
That is the root. The root is brokenness. The root is that people are separated from God. What is the antidote? People being reconciled to God. Guess who has the message? We do. Guess who has the solution? We do. Guess who can talk to the one who can do something about it? We do. See, brokenness won't get healed by simply being socially or politically active. We must be spiritually persistent. Have you prayed about it? I'm not talking about if you worried about it or stressed about it or posted about it or read a blog about it. Have you prayed about it? Or if you're just trying to do in the flesh what can only be accomplished in the spirit. So, prayer and fasting. Number two, representing Jesus well. Representing Jesus well. <laughs> representing Jesus well. I'm a Christian. What does that mean? That means that you represent the kingdom of God. You represent this whole enterprise called the church. And he says this, the passage we just read, they'll see your honorable choices, they'll see your good deeds, they'll glorify your Father in heaven. This is what church has become, or this is what Christianity has become for a lot of Christians. I go to church. Tell me about your relationship with God. I go to Overflow Church. I'm glad you do. Love it that you come to Overflow Church. Tell me about your relationship with God. I'll wait. Because what we've done is we've treated church like we treat Target. I go to Target once or twice a week. I get stuff there. I consume it. I don't really do anything. I just go and I pick up some things, and then I go home. My life doesn't really change. I'm just surviving. It's just something I do. And most people's walk with the Lord, that's what it looks like. It's somewhere I go. It's a thing that I do. Listen, it is a lifestyle. This representing God is a lifestyle. It's like I play soccer. Listen, beloved, we are God's people. Like this is our identity. Our identity isn't wrapped up in church. Our identity is wrapped up in him. Or or people treat treat church like Starbucks. I I used to really like Starbucks. Not so much anymore. Just because it's just not as good as it used to be, let's just be real. And so used to, I go to Starbucks, I get coffee, right? And they'd be like, what do you want? Well, coffee, <laughs> just just coffee. And they're like, you, you cream and sugar? No, I want coffee. If I wanted a soda, I'd go to the vending machine, right? So I want coffee, right? And so what people do at Starbucks is they put, they, they order milk, and then they put a lot of sugar and a little bit of coffee in their milk. That's really what those drinks that you're spending like six bucks for, that's all it is. It's a bunch of milk, maybe almond milk if you're a hippie or something, or some kind of oat milk or something if you've got, you know, stomach issues with regular milk, cow milk, whatever, whatever your, whatever it is this week. And so they have a whole lot of that, a little bit of syrup, and just a little bit of, little bit of two ounces of coffee. So you're drinking milk with coffee added in. I feel like people are a lot like that with Christianity. I think that we're running around saying, hey, I drink coffee. Well, you don't really drink coffee. You drink milk and you just add a little coffee. I feel like that people have just added a little bit of Jesus into their life. They, they've, they've done it so to be a little bit more palatable. Something, something in their life they can say, oh, it's just sweet. This is my preference. This is what I like. I'll take this, but I don't want that. And we do that in church. We do that with our worship. I'll have a little, little bit of skim worship. 
oh, worship was just, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't whole worship today. It was kind of low-fat worship. Oh, the message had, you know, it was pretty sweet, pretty sweet message. Oh, it's a seasonal thing. Come on. All of it. And we've treated this thing called kingdom life like consumers, like consumers. Beloved, let's represent him well. Be careful in the way that you act. Listen, do you look different? Do you look different than your unbelieving friends? What is different between your life, who you call yourself a Christian, and people in your life that don't call themselves a Christian? Or you just know that they're not a Christian? What's different about your life? Will I go to church? That's it? How are you representing Jesus to them? Do you talk like them? Do you watch the same garbage that they watch? Do you act to people that, that are ugly to you like they act to people that are ugly to them? What's different? What's different? Who are you representing? Are you representing you? Are you representing the world? Or are you representing Jesus? This is what intercession is. Saying, I am representing Jesus to the world. The third is this. It's the message we bring. It's the message we bring. Did you know that there are probably people that live on your block that are probably better humans than you? They may give more money to an organization or they may uh, care about social issues more than you do. They, they're probably, they probably make better life choices than you. There probably are. There are probably people on my street that, that are, are better, nicer people than me. And I try really hard to be nice. I'm a pretty nice guy. People are scared of me. I don't know why, but I'm a nice guy. I don't know, I don't know what it is. But listen, we, we, we kind of think, and this, there's, there's this old statement that went around that said, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And I'm sure the intention of that statement was great. But it's actually a gross ideology. Because the thing that separates Christians from the world is not necessarily just our lifestyle. We've got to have that lifestyle. It needs to preach. However, using words is necessary. Because, see, it's the gospel that transforms lives. It's not my good deeds. Listen, if I am trusting my good deeds to get the people around me saved, then I am failing miserably because I screw up a lot. I make a lot of mistakes. I have to apologize a whole lot. Now, hopefully, I'm representing him well. But it is not Josh Brown that connects people to God. It's the gospel. It's the message that is inside of me. See, Romans chapter 10, 14 says this. How can they call on him, call on him to save unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? How can they receive a gospel that they've never heard? So I can go and I can be a humanitarian. That may inspire people. They may glorify God in that, but it won't redeem them. It's the gospel that redeems them. It's what Jesus did that re redeems them. And beloved, we need to be winsome with this gospel. There is this movement in the, on the earth today called progressive Christianity. And it's basically what it is is a bunch of people that have, that have been Christians, and they said, well, I don't like this about Christianity. I don't like what the Bible says about political issues. I don't like what the Bible says about creation. I don't like the, what the Bible says about sin. I don't like the, what the Bible says about the sinfulness of man and original sin. And so what they've done is they've just taken all these things. They say, well, we're still Christians. We like Jesus. I'm like, 
But you just said you don't like the Bible. Where are you getting this Jesus from? You're getting it from the little idol that you built and you keep in your bedroom and you call that Jesus. That's what it is. It's idolatry. But it all starts with this question, did God really say? Did God really say? Remember, the, remember in the garden, what happened? Did God really, did God really say? Remember when Jesus was being tempted, what did, he, what did the devil say? Well, surely God will manipulates the word. So culture is, is trying to manipulate the word of God. Listen, you have got to get serious, beloved. Not just coming to church and hearing a message that I, that I hope encourages you, but you've got to get serious about this word of God that we have. Beloved, the, the truth is on our side. I'm not... People are like, well, are you worried to get in an argument with a really smart person? No, there are people out there that are way more brilliant than I am. But the difference is I have the truth. And it's not my truth. It's God's truth. It's the truth. And I trust that. And I guarantee you that I will take God's word over somebody else's word. I'll take what God said. I'll take his word for it because it's what he said about himself. And so there's going to be things in the scripture that you don't like. And there's going to be things in the scripture that I don't like, but God said it. And so my job is to conform to that, not change it to fit what I like. And beloved, we've got to get serious about being able to defend this gospel. Because you're going to go to people and like, well, well, the Bible tells me so. Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. Well, there you go. I know because it's in the scriptures. And the scriptures can be trusted. But are you at a place in your life where you've done the homework to know that the scriptures can be t- trusted? Or do you just believe it because my pastor said so? you got to do better than that. Or I read a blog one time and I was convinced. Can you argue for your faith? Oh, we don't like to argue. This is something worth arguing. The gospel is something worth arguing. Jesus is the way and truth in life. This is, has eternal consequences. People will go to hell if you don't learn how to argue in a right way. I don't mean in a mean-spirited way. We need to be winsome, the defense of the gospel. 1 Peter chapter 3.15, almost done. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give them a reason for the hope that you have. So what is the reason? Sometimes your reason is because you're at this point in your journey, you just say, because he changed my life. And that's good enough for right now. You need to grow in that. But right now, you've got a story. If you come to the Lord, you've got a story, and nobody can argue with your story. You say, well, you can say what you want, but I know that's what God did. And then you can do your homework and be able to have a, a winsome argument. Come on, not a, that's what God Bible says. Okay, well, okay, why do we trust the Bible? Give good reasons. Give, give, give good reasons on the historical Jesus. It's not hard. Number four, last part. We're done. This is the power we function in. So we got to have intercessors. We've got to have the prayer time. We've got to have the message. Come on, we've got to have the lifestyle. We've got to have that. But we also got to have the power. So there's a story in Numbers chapter 16. And the high priest, Aaron, and Moses, or Moses is leading the people. He's kind of functioning as a king. He's not the king, but he's, he's their leader. And then Aaron is the high priest. So Aaron is the only one that can go into the presence of God. Moses could only go when he was invited, but Aaron could go because he was the high priest. This was his his mantle. This is what he was called to do. It's his title. It's his position. And so God's people are complaining and 
bickering about being in the wilderness once again. And so there is a plague that's coming. They're being judged. And judgment is coming, and it is wiping people out like a wave. People are dying. People are suffering. So Moses hits the ground with Aaron and Pearl. And they're down on the ground. And Moses looks at Aaron, and he says, from the altar and bring it back. And so Aaron gets up. People are dying left and right. He runs. He goes into that place, the place of God's presence, and he gets the fire from the altar and he puts it in a censer. And he brings it out. And he's running with his censer. And he goes back to where Moses is and he stands up and he holds up that censer. And it says this in verse 48. It says that where he stood, stood between the living and the dead and the plague stopped. It was like Aaron went before the Lord and he got God's heart and he got the Holy Spirit and he said, I will represent God's goodness to the people. I will get the fire. I'm the only one that can get the fire from the altar. But when I come back, I'm going to stand between the living and the dead. Beloved, I'm telling you, you are the intercessors. We have the fire of the Holy Ghost to stand in between the living and the dead. Some of you have generational curses in your family. You've had something that's been passed on from decades. But guess what, beloved? You can get that fire from the altar, and you can go before the plague, and you can stand there and say, it is here. It is here. I am standing between the living and the dead. Some of you have bad, broken mentalities that were passed off from a parent. Guess what you can say because of the power of the Holy Ghost? It ends here. It ends here. It ends with me. It ends with me. Cancer has been in my family. Beloved, it ends here. You have the fire from the altar. We don't need another political agenda. We don't need another vote. We don't need another the right person in the White House. We need God's house, God's people to get the fire from the altar, the fire from the place of prayer, the fire of the Holy Ghost. And we need to stand between the living and the dead and declare it ends here. Will you stand? Will you stand?